0: Well, good morning. My name is Jamal Shepherd. I'm one of the elders here in the church. Um, As Rob mentioned a moment ago, our senior pastor is away in Arizona performing a wedding for one of his friend's daughter. Um, He texted me a little while ago, and he wanted me to let you know that he's doing well um, and to pray for he and Don. They're on their way back. Um, When he returns next week, he will conclude our series in Galatians, the final chapter there, the last few verses. Um, But today, I'm going to be speaking on a subject that he wanted me to speak about, a a very large subject. He gave me free reign today. (laughs) And so he left it wide open for me and said, hey, just preach on practical Christianity. Um, And so that's what I endeavor to do today. And so I want to start with this first slide here with a couple of questions. Who are you? Deep down on the inside, who are we? Do we really know who we are? Do we know what's inside of these earthen vessels called human beings? Do we know the kind of treasure to be found within us? And do we live that way? The title of this message is Indivisum, a fancy Latin word. Um, the word just means unseparateness. It means undividedness, indivisibility. It it, it means um, two things that have something in common. Sometimes it's used as a legal term. And the question is, as Christians, do we live that kind of life? The kind of life where you can love your wife. (laughs) Thank you. The kind of life where you're not mixing things up, where you're not Living for God with part of your heart and living for yourself with the other part of it. And as always, the person that preaches, these questions are for him as well. Preaching is a very scary thing because you expose your heart. You expose yourself, not just before your brothers and sisters in Christ, but you're you're totally exposed and naked before God. Because as you talk, God knows exactly what the state of your own heart is. A great verse that I reflect upon a lot is found in Psalm 86 11, which reads, teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Unite my heart. God doesn't want us to have divided associations. He doesn't want us to serve him and to serve mammon, for example. He doesn't want us to serve the flesh and serve him. No, all of our affinity is to be towards God alone. The Apostle Paul begins um, his speech that we're going to be looking at today in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to do a lot of scripture reading. Second um, Corinthians chapter 3 and chapter 4, some, some large swaths of those two chapters. But in this particular text, he reminds the church at Corinth that they have a glory within themselves, something that they should readily recognize. And Paul speaks elsewhere of other things having a glory. He speaks of of celestial things having a certain type of glory, the sun, the moon, the stars. There's a certain beauty to be found in those elements. There's another other type of earthly glory, there's the beauty found within human beings. The plants have a certain glory. But what has the most glory? That's one of the questions. In Paul's text in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he uses as a backdrop the story of Moses in Exodus. You may recall there was a time when Moses would go up on the mountain to meet God. And he would come down and his face would shine because of being exposed to that Shekinah glory of God. And the children of Israel were kind of afraid of him and were in awe. And Moses began to put a veil over his face. Paul says that Moses did this because he didn't want his his brothers and sisters to focus on him, on his face, but instead to think about the one that caused him to light up. In that manner. And so, with that, we turn to our text today. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 12. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened, for until this very day at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains, unlifted, because it is removed in Christ. Removed in Christ. There's a veil that does exist, and this veil is removed by Christ. Christ, that in itself should tell us there's something that needs to be done away with, something that needs to be removed from our lives, and there's only one person that can do it, and that is Jesus Christ. Should we pay more attention to plants that grow, for example, or should we pay attention to the sun that shines in the sky that causes the plants to grow? It's the same with Moses. Should the Israelites have been focusing on the shine coming from his face? or focus on the one he was meeting that caused such a shine to exist. Verse 15. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. When Jesus Christ steps into a heart, darkness flees. Light is replaced, replacing that darkness. And as Paul says, we go from glory to glory. This growth, because it is a growth, this growth that we have in Christ is steady. We don't come to just straight perfection and sinlessness. That's not what happens. It's it's a strange thing. Um, Teaching is very, very important. I remember a long time ago as as a young man, older teenager, I used to think when I first accepted Christ that to be a Christian means you will never ever sin again. Is anybody in here who believes that? Oh, okay. But that's not reality. That is not what Christianity is. I was speaking to someone just the other day at work um, she just ha- she happens to be Buddhist and she was talking to me about um, a colleague of ours who's a Christian and how she didn't understand some things that this, this other lady was speaking of and how this woman spoke of the struggle of the Christian life and how there are good days and there are bad days but always you're in Christ and you're saved and she said well, Christians don't sin right <laughs> it's amazing that that thought is actually there it's not a true statement. Of course we sin. But as John the Elder says in one of his smaller epistles, we do not practice sin. Hallelujah. Because we've been blood-bought, there's a new life to be found within us. Going to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. So that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bond servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Again, Jesus steps in, this darkness flies away. I'm reminded in um, the first chapter of John, um, when when John is speaking about Jesus, speaking of this, this anointed one to come, he said, The darkness comprehended it not. Wow. The darkness did not comprehend Jesus, this light that came into the world. But it says in this text also that there is a veil that still exists on this earth, but it is found with those who do not know the truth. Their minds and eyes have been blinded so that they can't see, they cannot understand, they cannot comprehend the truth of Christ. Verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen in vessels, so that the surpassing greatness... Will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Amen. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh, so death works in us, but life in you. We go through all kinds of things in the Christian life. People die, family members die, we, we contract various diseases, and some of those diseases actually cause our demise. We lose businesses, we lose homes, we lose relationships, and we lose husbands, we lose wives. We go through all kinds of turmoil, but we have eternal life within. This light is from God and cannot be snuffed out. Our bodies will fade away and die, but the life in us lives on and on and on. Our bodies are beaten and worn out. We are afflicted, Paul says. We are perplexed. We are persecuted. Sometimes we don't even know which way to go. We're so confused. Have you been so confused that you don't even know what the next decision is to make? Even in the midst of all that, God is still in us, and he still guides us, and he still loves us. He provides us with the steps to take. He rescues us. This is what is inside of us. We are these earthen vessels that Paul is talking about. Earthen vessels, they could be chipped, they could be broken, they could be cracked. What's on the outside is not even really that important. We might think it is. We may think it's important how we look, the exterior, how, we, how people see us. There's some value in that. Paul mentions in another place that he can, you can do all the exercise you want. But all of that physical exercise only brings you a certain amount of satisfaction. The end all and be all is not looking the best you can be, but it is being with the best person there is, and that's Jesus. And he lives on the inside. Verse 13, but having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let us pray. Lord God, speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, Lord, speak to our entire beings this morning. We pray, Father, that your light shines on us, shines through us, shines in us. As the song said, Lord, you are everlasting. This praise to you should go beyond all things. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the blood that was shed at Calvary. We thank you, Lord, for Being in the family of God, I pray, Lord God, for those in our midst who are brothers and sisters in Christ, that our souls will be fortified today by your spirit. We'll be strengthened and encouraged, that we will walk out of this building never being the same, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds according to your gospel, Lord God. And for those in the building who do not yet know Christ, I pray that the veil will be removed. That as they sit there now, that as you speak through me, Lord God, and these are your words, that you will touch hearts, you will touch minds, that you will put a seed deep in a heart and that you will water it by your spirit so life everlasting will grow. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's talk a little bit about the matching game. What we see with our eyes doesn't always speak to what it is. Yet at the same time, who we are on the inside should be seen. I mean, I can't see within another human being's heart. I can't even see within my own heart exactly what I am all the time. But even though we can't, with our naked eyes, see what is in the heart of another human being, one thing is for sure, we get a really good look at what a person is by what they do. So John, in his his weekly address called Ponder This, he sends this out by email every week. He asked a very interesting question just this past Friday. His question was this, how well do your words and deeds line up together? How well do they? How well do your deeds and words line up together? And he used as a backdrop Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 has some very interesting things. In verse 10 of that chapter, Paul says, And you have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. We have a new identity. Everything we did before, prior to finding Christ, prior to Christ finding us, that stuff is to be left behind. There's a demarcation line. We have crossed over into this new spiritual Jordan. God has brought us there. There has been an exodus in our own lives. We have left Egypt, so to speak. We're not supposed to want to go back for cucumbers, like the children of Israel did. You've brought us out here to die. Is the case with us today? Do we think because things are tough that God has brought us here this far to die? No, he didn't. Just as the Israelites were tested, perhaps what you may be going through is indeed a test as well. You're encouraged this day to hold on to not forsake the Lord. We are told in 2 Corinthians 5:17, "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new." not some things. All things have become new. And since we are new, new things do new things. New people do new things. Christ said, greater things than these you shall do. Do we live that way? In Colossians 3, again, we think about image bearers. Paul said, we're being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created us. We are made in the image of God. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27, that's where we first start to hear about this image of God. But what does it mean? Does it mean some physical thing? And I'm I'm contextualizing now. Does it mean that God has the same level of melanin that I have? It can't possibly mean that. Does it mean that he has black curly hair like me or grain hair like me? It doesn't mean a physical thing. What does it mean that we're made in his image? Does it mean something outside of us, some, some exterior thing? No. It means something on the inside. We're made in his image. He made us to be like him. He made us to do what he does. He made us to be seen. When people look at us, they're supposed to see Jesus. Jesus. That is what is supposed to be evident. Is it evident in our lives? No matter where you are, it's one thing to be a Christian in church. And I'm not speaking against anyone. This is just a spiritual truth. It is much easier, I think, I think, to be a Christian in church. We're among family members. We're among our brothers and sisters. When you leave here and you go out into the world on Monday or even maybe today, Will those outside of the church see you as a Christian, see you as being someone blood-bought, see you as someone that is new, where they can say, man, you are different. I mean, we're saints, according to the scripture. A saint is someone who is set apart, called out by God. I mean, that's what the word church even means, ecclesia, the called out ones. We're not even supposed to be remotely similar to the world. We're supposed to be easily recognizable, different. God's holy nation, a peculiar people, Peter says in his epistle. That is what we are supposed to be. Why are we supposed to be that? Because he made us to be this way. He purchased us by his blood. If I go to the store and buy this water, This water is supposed to provide for me what whoever made this bottle and and put this water in it, the water is supposed to give to me what it was intended to give. Christ has purchased us. The expectation is because he purchased us, that item, his people, his church that he purchased, is to do what he wills because he purchased us. Do any of you own anything? Of course you do. Do any of those things do what they want to do? Of course they do not. I have an iPad here. This iPad is not going to sprout feet and walk away because it wants to. This iPad will only do what it was designed and created to do. This podium will only do what a podium is supposed to do. My shoes will do what shoes are supposed to do. Christians are supposed to do what Christians are intended to do by their creator. Christians, we, are not to act like the world. Now, this is not a message on legalism. This should not be received as a disheartening message. This is not about perfection in the sense of getting 100% on the test. This is about striving to follow after your Lord and Savior. Knowing that we have the greatest advocate there is, Christ Jesus. When you mess up, you call out to him, he picks you right back up. We get so many do-overs. You know, one of the apostles asked, Lord, if my brother sins against me 70 times 7, I mean, I mean, if he sins against me 7 times and I forgive him, is that enough? 70 times 7, is that enough? Christ said, absolutely not. I'm paraphrasing here. Of course, there is no number that is acceptable. If your brother or sister comes to you meaningfully, remorsefully, asking for forgiveness, you forgive How many times have we sinned against Christ? I mean, is there a quota? Is there an expectation from us that, hey, once I meet that quota, that's it. I can't sin anymore. He's not going to forgive me. No. He picks us up. He dusts us off. When he looks at us, he sees Jesus through us. We are the image bearers. We bear his image. Oh, but this person hurt me. I can't forgive him. Is that bearing the image of your Lord? Well, you know what? I don't really like this person. I, I don't want to have anything to do with them. I don't, I don't love that person. Is that bearing the image of God? I'm not saying any of this stuff is always easy. Everybody has their own particular cross to, bury, to, to bear. But we are to be like our Lord and Savior. He died on a cross in the most brutal of ways. And yet he still did what was expected of him. There is nothing that we're going through that is worse than that. He's not asking for far too much. Temperature check. In John 3.16, um, we know this text. God so loved the world that he... That, right. You got it. Amen. There's another familiar text of scripture that also uses a chapter called 3 and a verse called 16. But this is in Revelation, beginning at Revelation 3, 15 and 16. This is the temperature check. John the Elder writes this on behalf of God to a church in Laodicea. He says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. The King James Version said, I will spew you out of my mouth. Clearly, even though we are but dust, as as the scripture says, God knows we're going to mess up. He knows we're going to sin. He knows we're not perfect. But he still expects us to live a certain way. There's no excuse we can give. All we can do is repent. Run back to the foot of the cross and be forgiven. Get up, dust yourself off, and get back in the race. He wills that we are not hot or cold, or hot or cold, not lukewarm. That is what he expects of us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, a very interesting passage, Paul spoke of individual church members knowing how to rely on each other You know, he uses um, the hand and and the the feet and the eyes and the ears. He uses these different parts of the body to illustrate that all those parts must work together in order to advance the church, in order to advance the kingdom of God. But imagine if one day the eyes said, you know what? I'm not looking for the rest of you guys anymore. You guys got to figure out how to find your own thing to observe. I'm tired of looking. I'm tired of telling you guys which way to go and don't run into this or that. I know I'm the eye, but I don't want to be the eye anymore. You know, hands, it's your turn. And then the hands are like, I don't have any. What do you think I'm going to do? I, I can't see. I don't have any lenses. I don't have any cornea. I can't look for us. I can only do what my hands were designed to do. And the feet say, well, you know what? I'm tired of you guys bickering. So from here on out, you guys can catch an Uber. You can get a lift. I'm catch, hitchhike. I'm not taking you guys anywhere else with my feet. I want to do something different. I am the feet, but I think I want to look around for a while. Can you imagine? And it's the same thing with us as Christians. I mean, can we actually say with our mouths, you know what? I don't want to be a Christian anymore. Sure you can. But if we step away, are we Christians? And this is a a question we all have to ask ourselves. This is not judgment. The last few weeks, you you may have heard of of at least a couple of cases that's been in the news feed of pastors or Christians who have stepped away from the faith, called it quits, renounced the faith. The question is, what does God expect Christians to do? Does he expect you to hang in there? Does he expect you to endure? Does he expect you to persevere? And has he given you the equipment to do it? Yeah, he has. His spirit is in us. And if his spirit is in you, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. There is no force greater than you on the planet. You can do it. You can overcome. You're a new creature. I have some props here. You may be wondering, is this a dead body? What is this? What does this have to do with anything you've been saying thus far? I'm going to leave it a mystery and never let you see a notice plan. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, up at this time. And so earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul talked about this veil. He talked about at the time of Moses, Moses would put a veil on so that the, the church and Israel would not focus on him so much, but focus on God. So this makeshift veil are some things that you may have seen before. What is the point of this? Well, I have a lantern here. And guess what? You may not know this, but this lantern made by Energizer, all it can do is what a lantern does. If you want this lantern to be a hammer, you will destroy it. If you want this to be an iPad, you won't be able to study or search for anything whatsoever. You might believe that you will, but it will not work. I have here, and this is not a communion table, but I have here some apple cider vinegar. This was designed to do what it does. Now, it smells terrible, but I'm going to drink a little. I heard some O's. (laughs) And this water was designed to do its job too. And I can tell you that vinegar may want to be water all it wants to, but it never shall be water. (laughs) And I have some Febreze here. This Febreze is not to be drank. Right? It's designed to bring a nice smelling fragrance in whatever your environment is. I can. There it is. Oh yeah, that's good. April Fresh. And I have a leaf blower. This leaf blower is not a lantern, it's not for breeze, and you can't taste it like apple cider vinegar. And it's not refreshing like water. It, too, has its job. It is made to do this. Oh, you wanted that again? You're in the front row, I'm sorry. But all of these objects have a function. Everything has a purpose. We've heard this before. Everything on the planet has a purpose. And we know that God is the designer. And he has made us to be creative too. We have learned how to make such a thing. The manufacturers of this product, iWorks, they don't expect it to be this. The lantern company doesn't expect this to be that or this to be that or this to be a keyboard. What about you? You're a Christian. You were not made to be like the world. There was a time when you were, but you have been pulled out of darkness into his wonderful light. That is where we are. There is no going back. That is not our home anymore. Our home is presently with Christ, and it ever shall be with him. So my encouragement is that we walk like we were designed to walk. When it is time to forgive, forgive. That is what Christians do. When it is time to love, you love. That is what a Christian does. We do not hate, we do not do not destroy. We act like Jesus. You remember a long time ago there were those rubberized bands that said, WWJD, do do it, do it, uh, what would Jesus do? But you know what? I mean it's not a bad question, but I think a better question is you already know what Jesus would do, so what are you gonna do? So, what are we going to do as Christians? Are we going to let this light shine? Are we going to remove this veil? Let the world see who Jesus is? Or are we going to just cover it up and have people never know that they can be saved? Let's worship.